I find that, that there are some people who react negatively to negative reinforcement or to criticism or to punishment. But there are a lot of us who react very positively towards it. Nothing destroys my desire to do something than somebody saying that's a good idea. Welcome everyone to Do Well and Do Good. You're here because you have the desire to create financial freedom, but you also want to make a powerful positive impact on the world. This podcast exists to tell the inspiring stories of men and women who have achieved both, people who do well and do good. I'm your host, Dorothy Ilson, and I'm here to help you discover proof that individuals have the ability to make a massive impact. Welcome back, everybody, to episode 70. I'm so excited that you're here. And before I introduce today's guest, I want to take a moment to remind you that Instagram is the best place to stay on top of what's going on with the show, find out who my guests are each week, as well as to get a peek into my own entrepreneurial journey. Today's guest is Manish Sethi. Manish is the founder of Pavlock and Shot Clock, products that are designed to help people change their habits permanently. See, in 2008, Manish took a two-year break from studying at Stanford to travel and start the blog hackthesystem.com. A few years later, one of his posts went completely viral. It was actually titled, Why I Hired a Girl on Craigslist to Slap Me in the Face and How It Quadrupled My Productivity. In this interview, you will hear Manish talk all about what that article was about, what happened afterwards, and how he actually took that slapping idea to start a company in 2013 that has since earned almost eight figures in revenue. We talk about the psychology behind habits and how you can actually use sensory stimuli to help you change your habits as well as to create new ones. Today, Pavlock has helped over 75,000 customers to wake up in the morning, reduce cravings, quit smoking, and defend against distractions. I was absolutely fascinated by this conversation with Manish, and I know that you will be as well. So without further ado, here it is. Manish, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm excited to have you here. I'm really excited to be here. Before we jump into your story and what you've done with Pavlock, set the stage for us. Tell me, you know, what was life like for you growing up and what beliefs around money and success would you say were ingrained in you early on? Sure. Um, so I grew up in California. Um, it's a little lower, lower middle class town, a suburb of Sacramento. My parents were first generation immigrants. They, were, they immigrated from India. They had an arranged marriage. You know, they met each other four days before they got married and then um, moved to America. And I was the fourth child. So I have two sisters who are 10 years or so older than I am. And then I have a brother who some of your listeners might recognize, Rumi Sethi from the blog, I Will Teach to Be Rich. And so he was five years older than I was. And then there was me. And um, so I grew up in this small little suburb, super boring. Um, and ever since I grew up, I was always very entrepreneurial to some extent. Um, my parents didn't have much money and they certainly didn't give us any money. We were expected to figure it out for ourselves. Um, so I remember being like five years old and I found all the books in our house and I did like a book sale on the street. And um, I remember being six or seven and like playing guitar for money outside when I was like a little cute kid, things like that. And then around um, 11 or 12, I got really into, I was buying video games on one website and reselling them on eBay. This is before we really had a, a computer. So I was doing this for my my, my school at my, my school's computer. And um, one day we got a computer and I decided to start playing some of the games. One of them I got really into, very much into. Uh, it was a game called Age of Empires. 
so much that I wanted to start making video games. So I got very in- excited by the idea of making games. And my parents, um, well, there was this website I read a lot of um, and a book I read about making video games. And I found out the author was hosting a game programming conference in Santa Clara, about three hours from my house. And so I convinced my parents to let me go. They let me, they bought me a ticket and they took me to this conference. And I was like a little 12 year old kid or 13. I think I was 12. I get to the conference and um, I, there's this uh, book author agency that was creating a, a book series around programming. I went and talked to them. And that night I went home and I wrote on the author's forum. I wrote, Hi, I was the 12 year old kid at the conference. I had so much fun. I saw that you guys are doing this new book series. Uh, someday I'd like to write a book maybe on making video games. Do you think that's possible? And the author, who was my hero at the time, wrote back and he said, I'll never hire anybody to write a book who's younger than 25. You're not smart enough, you're not committed enough, and you'll never get it done. Oh, wow. <laughs> so the first thing that went through my head is, is, is like, screw you. Um, and so what I did is the next five days, I locked myself in a room and I wrote 80 pages of a book about how to make video games uh, with the title Game Programming for Teens. I submitted it above his head and pretended to be an adult. And I ended up getting a book deal signed. So I was 13 and got a book deal signed. And so I ended up writing this book called Game Programming for Teens that came out uh, in 2004. I think I was 15 or 16 at the time. The book ended up being an international bestseller. So it sold, um, I think, 70 or 80,000 copies across America. It became a textbook in Poland. So every kid in Warsaw read my book, which is pretty cool. And so then I wrote four or five other books uh, beyond that. So I, I grew up with this idea that you should and can just try stuff and entrepreneurship was always kind of baseline in my, in my mindset, but I also grew up very resistant to spending. I think that comes from being Indian. So this mindset of make money, but don't worry about having stuff, stuff always works out was kind of built into me. Uh, so I think those two things worked out very well for the kind of business that I wanted to start. Gosh, what a remarkable story. And I mean, that, that guy, I mean, you said he was basically your hero. And then to get a message like that, first of all, what an asshole. <laughs> I <agree. laughs> uh, really impressive that you took that. I mean, you could have gone the other direction, right? You could have just let that completely crush your self-confidence and take it for the negative. But instead, you turned that into fuel, which I'm sure you know has really been a character trait that has served you throughout your career, would you say? Yeah, it's 100% very consistent with actually my business now and uh, kind of my entire motivational strategy is that I find that, that there are some people who react negatively to negative reinforcement or to criticism or to punishment, but there are a lot of us who react very positively towards it. Nothing destroys my desire to do something than somebody saying that's a good idea. But if someone says that's a bad idea, I'm like, screw you, I'll prove you wrong. So uh, my business has this, when I started my business, I had a big poster that uh, was above my computer that said, sometimes I feel like giving up, but then I remember all those motherfuckers I have to prove wrong. And, and we'll talk more about this um, as we get into habit strategy and how uh, we help people change habits. I found that a lot of people focus on positive reinforcement and, and, and search for positive reinforcement. What they don't realize is that negative reinforcement is often much stronger of a motivator in order to get things to happen. Um, yes, there's this, the positive uh, rewards do make habits last for longer, but to get habits to start, a fear of loss or a fear of pain is much more massively powerful uh, in the initial phases of any, any sort of habit change. And so when you start utilizing those as, when you start looking back in your life, and I think, I think a lot of your viewers, I think most people in the world will resonate with this. Like when you're in college or when you're in school, you have these deadlines of papers you're supposed to write, you know, and you do them and you somehow always get them done. 
And some people are, are, are systematic and they'll start three months before it's due and go to the library and make a plan and write, write an outline and do a little bit each day. But there's a lot of people, I would say about half of people, who don't do anything until the last minute. And somehow they, at the last minute, they work really hard, they stay up all night and they get it done and they get it done one minute before it's due. These people often feel like they're broken, but they don't realize that their brain has a personality trait of low conscientiousness or a fear of loss. They're more motivated by the fear of loss than, than systematic rewards. What they think is that they're a failure because they put it off to the last minute. What they don't realize is that they're a success because they finished it before the last minute. The successful way for these people to succeed is not to change their habits by getting themselves to start earlier and work more systematically. The secret is to add more deadlines. If they start adding more non-cheatable deadlines through formats that we recommend like bets and social accountability, they end up magically getting work done. So if they say, for example, all right, I have a paper due in three months. I'm going to go to the library and try to work on it. They won't do it until one day before it's due. They'll go to the library and waste time on Facebook or whatever. But if instead they say, I'm going to finish one third of it by the end of the first month. And if I don't, I'll pay $100 to a charity or to a friend or somebody. They'll somehow magically finish that one third one hour before the one month marker. So by adding in deadlines, they actually create an environment which uh, works with who their personalities are. And that is exactly the same personality trait as when the author told me I wasn't allowed to write a book, that this, this proving someone wrong or beating a deadline, those things are very aligned. And so I think that that's a very important PowerPoint that a lot of people don't follow through. Well, I think that one thing that you touched on there that is so critical is the accountability piece, right? Because especially as entrepreneurs, most of the time we're setting our own deadlines, right? So I know I've definitely had this experience where you know I, I keep everything in my business tracked in Asana and I'll find myself you know pushing back my own deadlines because I didn't get something done. And so that's why layering in that sort of accountability, like I'm going to give $100 to a friend who I've told, you know, this is my deadline that's going to keep you accountable to, you know, to actually doing what you said you were going to do. So take me back to this article that you wrote about hiring the girl on Craigslist to slap you. How did you get that idea? And what was that experiment like? What happened? Sure. So on my blog, Hack the System, I would do experiments to help myself change habits and behaviors. Things like I uh, started an NGO in India to raise money for building a school. Um, I became a DJ in Berlin without having any experience. That's the random stuff like that. And my readers would vote where I would go and what I would do. And in one of my experiments, I decided to start doing productivity and health hacking. So this was around 2012 when I was doing a series on productivity hacking. And I noticed that I would get stuff done when there were deadlines, just like I was mentioning. I noticed that whenever I had a deadline, things would work. So what uh, I also noticed that having... Be, that being held accountable would hold me, would make me do stuff. So I decided to do an experiment where basically I was trying to write about one to two articles a week. That was my goal. And I had nothing else to do. Like this was all I did. And I would write maybe one every two weeks, maybe more like one every three weeks. I would just waste time on my computer all day. And I said, what if I hired someone to just sit down next to me and just make me do it? What if I made it a little funny? What if I had it so if I didn't do it, she was allowed to slap me? That was just a little twist on it. Um, but it was really about having accountability in the moments. Because as you know, habits work a lot better when you have in the moments reinforcement. And so I said, all right, well, let's bring this girl in. I put up ad on Craigslist. I said, like, I'll pay $8 an hour. Someone sit down next to me and just make sure I keep writing. And within an hour, I had like 18 job applicants. And so the title of the, the Craigslist post was Slap Me If I Get Off Task. 
So anyway, um, I, I hired someone. They sat. They came to meet me at a at a cafe, and uh, for the next, I think it was like a week or two, I, I started writing articles. And I basically pre-committed at the beginning of the day. This is what we're going to do, and then I would start doing it. And then she would remind me if I started an alt tab onto like Facebook or wasting time. And realistically, she never she slapped me maybe once, um, but it was more like she tapped me or reminded me. She'd say like, Manish, come on, come on, Manish, come on. So that like reinforcement got me in the groove. But it also became kind of a social experiment or social experience where I would be talking to this girl and be like, how does this sound? What do you think I should write here? Or even do you mind looking up some images for me while I do this typing like to help me segment my work? And what blew me away were the results. So I tracked my productivity. And basically in one week, I wrote about four months of content. On average, I would... Um, I use this app called Rescue Time, which tracks your productivity score. I was about 38% productive, but when she was with me, I was 98% productive. My productivity, I was just, I was just in the groove, in flow for like a price of a, cup, a couple cups of coffee per hour. And so I found that to be really, really cool. The results were, ma- were, were magic. And a few months later, I wrote a blog post that was about the experience called uh, Why I Hired a, a Girl on Craigslist to Slap Me in the Face and How I Quadrupled My Productivity. And I posted it online and I went to bed and woke up to like 60 missed calls. And it turns out that the word slapper in uh, England means prostitute. So I accidentally had uh, made a pretty punny title. And uh, (laughs) so the Daily Mail posted this article about how this guy hired a slapper to make sure he got on on task. And so by the time I woke up, it, it was American time and I was receiving phone calls from NPR. And for the next three days, I was hyper famous. I was in 90 different news t- uh, TV shows, newspapers, and uh, magazines around the world. Anderson Cooper invited me to be on his show. Like, I was like, super famous for three days. And um, three days later, nobody cared anymore. The media spin had finished its path. And I was like, well, that sucks. How do I bring this back? What could be another cool, interesting story that would be viral just like this? Um, I called up a friend and I said, hey, man, what if we took like one of those dog collars, the ones that shock you, and we set it up so that every time I go on Facebook, it gives me an electric zap. I bet that would go viral. My friend said, all right, man, let's go to Radio Shack. Let's build it. And so we got together. Um, he was pretty smart with electronics. Uh, so we ripped apart an old collar and made this little prototype in a day where every time I went on Facebook, he would send me a zap. You ripped apart like an actual dog shock collar? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We took apart. Yeah, building taking apart something and making it work as a prototype is a lot easier than building something from scratch. I've learned uh, <laughs> a lot easier. Um, so we made this video of me getting zapped every time I went on Facebook and I was about to post the video online. And then I thought to myself, this is actually really interesting. I have, uh, there are a million wearables out there that track what I do, but this one's actually changing what I do. Maybe this is deeper than just a funny blog post. Maybe this is actually a real product, maybe even a real business that can really change a lot of lives. And that was the uh, genesis of the company that I run now, which is Pavlock, um, where we create hardware, uh, we offer coaching, and we create technology that helps people uh, form good habits, break bad habits, and change their morning routines. Now, I actually first heard of Pavlock in, I want to say it was probably 2015. I was working at a startup here in Chicago, and one of my coworkers brought this device into work one day and it was Pavlock. And, you know, I'd never heard of it at the time and it looked, you know, kind of like a Fitbit. 
and he had me put it on and then um you know i pressed the button and it shocked me and i'm a total wimp so i like (laughs) oh my gosh jumped out of my seat and he was using it i believe to stop nail biting was what he had gotten it for i was just absolutely fascinated by this and so i'm curious for you like what is is the psychology behind pavlock that makes it work so well in breaking these bad habits this is always a hard thing to describe because it's kind of like describing what does a phone do? Like, yeah, my phone lets me call people, but it's also my calculator, but it's also my map, but it also is my uh, way to send pictures and take photos, right? So it's so many things that it's very hard to describe it in one sentence, but at its core is very simple. It's a behavioral training device that can vibrate for positive reinforcement. It can beep for warnings and it can zap for negative reinforcement. At its core, all it is is a little tool that gives you positive rewards and negative stimuli. That's what it does. Now, when you start applying that to different specific goals that you have, you can start to adjust human behavior much rap- much more rapid than you could do with thoughts alone. Um, so for example, so I always break them up into three categories that we focus on. So one is breaking bad habits. Another is forming good habits. And our third and most popular right now is helping people wake up early. So those are the three things that we focus on. Um, so which one do you want me to explain first? Let's start with breaking bad habits. Breaking bad habits is interesting because this was one of the big breakthroughs at our company. I was using it early on as a way to get off Facebook, but you needed a lot of uh, software to make that happen. You needed to have the apps on the computer understand when you're going on Facebook. You need to have it a signal to your Bluetooth, to your phone. You need to have Bluetooth working, all this stuff. In the early days, we didn't have very good software, and I was Googling around, on, uh, and I, I stumbled on this keyword called aversion therapy or aversive conditioning. And I started to look deeply at this. Back in the 70s and 80s and the early 90s, there was a very common type of, of therapy that was used to help people quit addictions. Have you ever had any friends who like drink too much tequila and then they get really sick and then they suddenly never like tequila again? Oh, yeah. I was actually, when I was reading uh, about Pavlock on the website, it reminded me of when I got food poisoning once from Jimmy John's and I haven't been able to have Jimmy John's since. Yeah. And if you think about it or you smell it, you'll feel this like ugh, feeling in the pit of your stomach. And that pit of that feeling is called an aversion. It's a Pavlovian association or response to nausea or electric shock that's combined at the same time as any other stimulus you use. And it's actually extremely effective and very rapid. Unlike other replacement therapies, it's a rapid way to create a feeling that makes people stop doing things. So back in the 60s, or in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, what they would do is they would take smokers who were trying to quit smoking. And for five days, for about 10 minutes to 30 minutes a day, the doctor would tell them to bring the cigarette to your mouth, zap. Imagine the blackness of the smoke in your lungs, zap. Imagine how gross it smells that you're, that you're smoking, zap. And they would have them do this to the point that the person doesn't want to smoke the cigarette, but they keep doing it in order to create the Pavlovian association. The reptile brain, which is where habits are stored, the basal ganglia, That part of the brain does not understand thought or language. It only understands pleasure and pain in the present moment. And that part is normally used to just smoking cigarettes without even thinking. It's unconscious. But when it starts receiving a zap at the exact moment while you're doing something, slightly different than because of, but just while you're doing something, what happens is your reptile brain creates this Pavlovian association where it's not sure if the shock is causing the smoking or the smoke is causing the shocking or if they're just happening together. It doesn't matter because it doesn't understand time. All it knows is when my hand comes up to my face, I don't like it. And it takes about five days. Um, So we found this one study, which blew my mind. It was a study that was done 
over, I think it was 600 people who were trying to quit smoking using this, this technology, two pack a day smokers, heavy smokers. And they went through five days of therapy followed by one more day a few, uh, a few weeks later. So six days total uh, in order to quit smoking. If you take an average person who tries to quit smoking, there's a 5% chance that they'll be smoke-free a year later. If you take somebody who uses nicotine patches, guess what their success rate is? Gosh, I don't know. Probably not very high. Yeah, it's about 7.5% effective. Or my favorite ads of all time, 50% more effective than quitting cold turkey. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sounds big, but it's not. And that's if you use it for six months straight. But five days, was a total of six days of this uh, aversion therapy led to less than half of the users, two-pack-a-day smokers, smoking cigarettes a year later. 60% of those who, who lived without a smoker, if they didn't have a smoking uh, wife or husband, were smoke-free a year later. And that was only after six days. This blew my mind because an average person who quits smoking before they turn 50 years old gains on average 10 years of life. Uh, so if you're able to help one person quit smoking, they're on average going to gain 10 years of life. If you help 1,000 people quit smoking, you can add 10,000 years to the human species. And when I saw that the results were not just, not just 50% more effective, but about 800% more effective, about eight to nine times more effective, I was like, and, and, it, and it only took five to six days. I said, wow, this is, a, this is a powerful, powerful tool. So we started testing it on smokers. We ran one study at the University of Massachusetts in Boston. Uh, we had very similar results. Back then, they couldn't take the device home with them. They had to come into the therapy center. So for us, we wrote this, I, I have like an audio coaching where it t- tells you what to do. And then throughout the day, whenever you have the craving, you just press the button. So I don't know if the users can see it, but they can just press down on the device. So we, we, ran, the, we ran a test. We had users use it for 10, uh, 10 minutes a day for 10 days. And uh, at a six-month follow-up, 75% had not touched a cigarette. Wow. The numbers were just extraordinary. Well, I'm curious. So how does this need to self-police play into it? Because obviously, like when you had that girl slapping you when she saw you were on Facebook, that was someone else who was doing that to you. How do you make sure people stay accountable to themselves and actually zap themselves when it's something unpleasant, obviously? Yeah. So in this case, they have to follow this course. It's important that they go through the training series. If they, if they don't go through the training series, then the majority, like for example, if users use it to quit biting their nails um, and they only zap themselves when they bite their nails, then there's automation and it can detect all these things. But if they only use the automation, what happens is they won't bite their nails, but if they take the device off, they will bite their nails. However, if you go through the, the, the inversion course, it trains you to overdo the habit. So even So for about five to 10 minutes a day for the first five days, you're not going to want to bite your nails. It really hurts, but you stick through with those five minutes because the more you do it, the, the faster you rapidly train your reptile brain to stop. What happens is that after five or seven days, you won't need to wear it anymore. You can take it off. I, but um, most users will have one day of relapse somewhere around six to eight weeks after they purchase, after they get rid of the habit. And if they can zap it dead at that moment, they got to be aware and ready for it to happen. Then the habit goes away for good. It never comes back. One thing that we, we have been working heavily on improving is if a user goes through the five-day course, they have massive success rates. Getting users to go through the five-day course is actually a lot more hard than I thought it would be. Um, so we've started adding coaching and accountability groups in order to make sure that users who commit to doing habits actually stick through with them. Uh, and that's starting to work quite well. I will say that the habits have evolved quite a bit. So we're finding that quitting smoking is one of our biggest. So is sugar. So unhealthy foods is a big one. And then recently, one of the biggest ones is something that we can't really detect, 
but it's negative thoughts, uh, negative thoughts or anxious thoughts. Yeah. So we'll have users go through these, uh, basically they try to journal what they're noticing and, um, they, whenever they catch themselves in a negative thought loop, we have them zap themselves once smile deeply and then write down where they are. And what happens is that users will start to catch themselves earlier and earlier in the thought loops. And they'll often find a physical object that is the cause or triggering these thought loops that creates depression. A surprisingly large amount of people have physical objects that are creating depression, which I found very interesting. Well, so it makes a ton of sense to me how Pavlak works in eliminating bad habits. But talk to me briefly about this idea of creating good habits. Does there have to be the negative, you know, I guess, opposite of the habit you're trying to create that you can shock yourself for in order for it to work? Or talk to me about that. Well, Pavlok is extremely and by far the best uh, product in the world to help you stop a bad habit alone. It, it is not a magic pill for forming good habits. Uh, what we found is that for forming good habits, negative reinforcement can help you start a new habit, but positive reinforcement makes a habit stick. Uh, so those two combined become a magic pill. So the secret to habits, and I've given a few talks on um, forming good habits in the brain, but the secret to habits is there's one variable which makes habits last for the long term, and that's consistency. If you do an action every day after another action or at the same time for about 30 to 66 days, your brain gets so used to it that it no longer shows any signals in the prefrontal cortex. All the signal moves to the back of the brain, the reptile brain, it becomes a natural habit. It's as hard for someone who's an avid yoga goer to quit going to yoga as it is for you to start flossing. It's just as hard. Any habit is difficult to start doing. But uh, we use the word difficult, I mean, in the sense of it takes time, it takes days, and that's the only metric. But once it's formed, it's uh, difficult to stop, if that makes sense. So what we found is that the, the trick is getting, how do you get people to start doing a behavior? How do you get them to not just start doing it, but look forward to it? Once that happens, if you get them to do that for, for between 30 to 66 days, it becomes a permanent fixture in their mind. And what we found is that there's a, there's a lot of different variables, but here's what we did, what we built into the app to make it happen. There's a few specific habits that we focused on. The first one is morning routines. I find that to be a very powerful, almost a super habit because you get like six habits for the price of one. A second one we have is uh, uh, putting in your, what you're going to do tomorrow before you go to bed and then actually doing those things. So like task lists. And then the third one is gratitude journals. Those are the three habits that we have set up as positive uh, habits. And we're rapidly rolling out new ones every few months, every few weeks. And how it works is this. Uh, we basically have apps that make it very, very simple for you to do it. So like a to-do list app and we have a morning routine app. And then what we did is we created a betting pool. So you basically commit money or points. We have this in-app point system. You commit money or points to a group of people. And every day that you fail, you lose, those, you lose that money or you lose points. And every day that you succeed, you win money from the people who failed. We, so we basically created a habit betting pool in which we get you to have a fear of loss through potential rewards being lost and a potential to, to win by winning from the people who fail. So it's like a betting pool. Commitment bet, we call it. Um, and what happens is that users get so used to it after 20 to 30 days, it becomes natural. So they can exit the bet, but most users never want to exit the bet because they're actually winning money every day. So what we did is we created a, a, a lot. We did a, so we, we ran a test with our gratitude journal. Uh, so in the gratitude journal, uh, is there a video on this podcast? No, unfortunately not. Okay. So in our gratitude journal on the app, you basically fill out three things you're grateful for every day. It's very simple. And um, so of the users who just download it, it's just like an online course for most people only like two or 3% of people actually use it every day, right? So then we tested it by having a set of, group, uh, set of users put a bet in. So they put in 
between one and 5,000 volts, which is this in-app point system that's not even real. It's just a point system. Of those users, 85% of them did their gratitude journal every single day. And the majority of them are still doing it. It's been over a year now. And they just, every day, they don't want to lose. They don't want to lose their fake points. And so they'll stay up every day, make sure that it becomes part of their routine, and they'll fill out three things they're grateful for. So in order to, uh, so the Pavlock in this case is not necessary, although it's helpful uh, for two reasons. One is that it provides triggers, so like vibration reminders and uh, warnings to, to do it. And then the second is that identity. Um, whenever you look down on your wrist and you see a Pavlock, you remember, hey, this is, I bought this because I want to be a better person. I bought this because I want to change my habits. And uh, oh yeah, that's right. I got to fill out my graduate journal so I don't lose today. So um, the Pavlock is not necessary. And in fact, if you download the app, you can use the gratitude journal and you can use the morning routine app without using the hardware. It's not required. But we find it to be a very useful tool for those who use it. So to summarize what I just said, for bad habits, the hardware product alone, using five days of aversive conditioning is by far the world's best solution to, to changing and breaking bad habits. And for people trying to form good habits, creating a commitment pool or creating a bet with a friend or through our app is a powerful way to help people form good habits. Yeah. Well, for anyone who wants to check that out, we will definitely post in the show notes links to the app and of course to the Pavlock hardware as well. The one that happened that surprised me the most that are, uh, is being used the most by Pavlock is to help people wake up. I've never used an alarm clock because I've always been a natural early waker. But one thing that but we started to get a lot of requests of people saying, I can't wake up. Could you make your product have an alarm clock app? And so what we did is we built this little alarm clock. Uh, it's surprising because there's not really any silent alarm clocks out there. I had no idea. But so basically, we started off with a device that could vibrate, and then it would beep, and then it would zap if you, uh, until you got out of bed. And we made it so that for basic users, it's just like a vibrating alarm on your wrist, and you press the button to snooze it. And then for heavy sleepers, we made it so that you had to get out of bed and do jumping jacks in order to turn off the alarm. And what we found is that basically, like, everybody, like 99% of people wake up to an electric zap. Like nobody sleeps through it. And because of that, we get these people who are super heavy sleepers who rapidly their brain trains themselves to wake up a few minutes before the alarm goes off. So we've had thousands of users. I think we've had 40,000 people who have used the shot clock and um, probably about 12 to 15,000 people use it every day. And um, what we found is that the majority of these people or a large percentage of these people will say the same phrase. Uh, I used to be a night owl, but now I'm a morning person. I, they become a morning person. They, they naturally wake up before the alarm goes off. So we've been focused really heavily on that because we found that when you start chaining the habits together, so getting up early with a little bit of motion starts to be alert. And then right after that, you jump into the morning routine bet. So like now, oh shoot, I got to do my morning routine habits. We found that you can start chaining very rapidly, uh, massive, massive changes in someone's life by having them start off by getting up early. Then they start doing these positive habits. Then they're a little tired for the first couple of days because they haven't gotten enough sleep possibly. So they sleep a little bit earlier. And then suddenly the chain starts to fix itself. So they naturally start waking up, becoming morning people, executing upon meditation, a little bit of exercise, affirmations, visuals, one in the morning. And then it, uh, it cascades throughout their entire life. So we're finding that to be really, really cool use case for product. So is that a completely separate product, separate piece of hardware from the normal Pavlock? Uh, no, it's, it's an app difference. So if you buy the shot clock, you'd only get the waking up features. But if you buy the Pavlock, you get the waking up features plus the habit features but it's the same hardware device and it's upgradable. Very, very cool. Yeah, so it's one device, different apps. Well, I have used the Pavlock myself, like I said, and so I can definitely attest to, first of all, the shock. It is no joke and it'll <laughs> definitely jolt you out of whatever you're looking to not do. So very, very cool. 
Well, I want to change gears a little bit because as you know, do well and do good. It's really all about how creating this success in our businesses allows us to leverage that to have a greater impact. And you are obviously having an immense impact on the users of your product in really transforming their lives through habits. But I know that giving back in other ways is something that has always been very important to you, even as a teenager. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, I think giving back has been very, very important to me. I started off um, teaching people how to do things that I found interesting. So like when I found how, how to make book, how to make video games, I found that teaching other people how to do it had a big cascading effect that was very... Um, very powerful. As I got a little older, uh, I started I, when I was living in India. I, I found that there was a lot of poverty going on, and so I mentioned that we. Uh, I started an NGO, a non-governmental organization called SaveThem.net, where we found we raised a lot of money online to build a school for villagers, and then te- and then buy computers for them and teach them how to use computers um, in order to help them, uh, you know, get ready for the modern world. So that was in two thousand nine, and that was very very inspirational. And so now to me, it's the same. It's, uh, you know, being able to fix my habits is cool, but it's much better to be able to help other people fix their habits and also to kind of have this psychology of uh, an abundant world where they're able to help not just themselves, but other people. Amazing. How would you say that the success you've had with Pavlock has impacted your ability to give back? Uh, I think that Pavlock is my way of giving back. Uh, in the sense that I believe that teaching others that the, the, the power, helping others get better habits naturally is what I think I was put on this world to do. Um, I think that like giving money to somebody is great, but giving somebody, you know, teach a man to fish is better than giving a man a fish, right? In the sense of like, you know, you can give someone money in order to have them have a good day, but if you teach them to have healthy habits and especially mental abundancy habits, habits of thinking, I think that's one of the most powerful use cases of what we do is helping people change their, their thought processes. Um, you can have massive impact, not just on them, but then the people they interact with. It has cascading effects. So from that extent, I would say that if you look at the dollars I invest, I think that when I was running my NGO, the time and dollars I was putting into pure uh, charity was much higher um, than right now. Um, In fact, like, you know, the majority of the cash, all of the cash that I have goes directly into, and all the time that I have goes directly into the product um, that we're building. But I think that from a long-range perspective, Padlock is an asset that helps people around the world change their habits for themselves, but also change it for the people around them. Well, Manish, thank you for everything that you've shared with us today. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. So I'd like to move into what I call the impact round. So here's how it works. I'll ask you a series of short questions. And I just want you to respond with the first answer that pops into your head. You ready? Mm-hmm. All right, let's do it. So who has been the most impactful person in your journey to do well and achieve financial success? Uh, I'd say my brother, Ramit Sethi from I Will Teach You Be Rich has been very, very impactful in my life. And then who has been the most impactful person in feeding your drive to do good and really make an impact? Uh, I think my, my parents, probably my, my mom and my dad, I mean, I, I put them together, but together they've been very, very impactful, always making us think about um, whatever we do to make sure that we give back to other people. When you're having a bad day, what do you do to get yourself out of the funk? You know, obviously personal development is big for you. Any regular habits, morning routines that really work for you? Yeah, I found that uh, almost always it's due to uh, me not following through on very specific habits. So it's almost always when I'm sad or depressed, it's because I like drank too much the day before or I didn't get enough sleep. And so typically it's make sure I'm, I'm well rested, make sure I've had enough water, make sure I've meditated. 
uh, make sure I've eaten pretty healthy, make sure I've exercised a little bit, and uh, make sure that I am talking to somebody I like. If I do, if I have it, if one of those things is out of whack, then I'm not happy. And so it's almost always those things. <laughs> so I might be misquoting this, but you and I are friends on Facebook and you posted, I think it was yesterday, something like, uh, this is your daily reminder to get the fuck up and drink some water. Yeah, exactly. And I will say you did get me to go get a glass of water. So. That is such a, I know we don't have too much time, but for some reason, people don't think about water. It's so freaking important and it cascades into everything. Your sleep gets better, your food. Like, uh, there's a 75% of Americans are obese or overweight and 75% of Americans are chronically dehydrated. I'm not saying there's a 100% overlap, but if you're ever hungry and you're not sure what you're hungry for, you're almost always thirsty. And people need to be drinking more water. And for some reason, no one talks about it. I love that. Such a strong believer. And it's... Water. <laughs> yeah, right? No, right? Whenever I like, whenever I, I have a headache or, you know, I'm just like feeling crappy, I usually realize it's because I have not been drinking water all day. So yeah, amen to that. Totally true. <laughs> yeah. And what book do you find yourself recommending to people most often? The two books that I recommend people, the one I recommend the most to people is Anti-Fragile, a book by Nassim Taleb. I think it's the most pure, amazing worldview. It's just a, such a good book. Give me, give me the brief, brief overview. I've never heard of it. Uh, sure. Have you heard of The Black Swan? Uh, no. Okay. Well, so basically this, this uh, author, um, financial trader, um, philosopher, he basically wrote a book called Anti-Fragile. And his point of the book is there are things that gain from randomness. So um, think about a coffee cup, right? If there's an earthquake, the coffee cup falls and it breaks. We think of that as something that's fragile. Um, now you take something else like a, a strong, like something the opposite of fragile. If you ask people that word, you might look at like strong or robust. So if there's an earthquake, a brick wall stays just as strong, right? But take a bouncy ball. If there's an earthquake and the bouncy ball falls, it actually jumps up higher than where it was before, right? So the, uh, the, um, the bouncy ball actually gets stronger from randomness. And his point is that you'll never be able to know what the black swans are, what the random events that are going to come that, that cause collapses or problems. But there are things you can do to make it so that when randomness comes into life, you actually bounce back stronger. So evolution is a really good example of like things that when there's a lot of randomness, then the species evolves even better. Um, but in, in your own modern world, it's like if you take most of your money as investments and you put most of your money into very, very safe investments, but then you take a little bit of your money and you put them into the most crazy investments possible, you'll have much better returns than someone who tries to just put index funds in for their entire life because they're just getting average results. So um, that, that concept has been the most has been extremely powerful in how I view the world. Amazing. And was there a second one you wanted to mention? Yeah, the second book is the book Sapiens by Yuval Harari. It's a book about the history of humanity from the, of the Homo sapiens species from 7 million years ago till today. Uh, and that book has rapidly, has massively changed my worldview on what good is and what truth is. Mm, someone else recommended that book to me just about a week ago. So I'll have to add it to my list. And then lastly, what is the best piece of advice related to happiness that you would give our listeners? I'd say make sure you're following the big six habits. Uh, if, you're, if, you're sleep, if you're not sleeping well, if you're not drinking enough water, if you're not eating relatively healthy, if you're not exercising uh, at least three times a week, if you're not, I don't know if I said drinking water already, uh, meditating, aim for once a day. And if you're not having a conversation with somebody that you like every single day, you're probably not going to be happy. And if you just follow, and you can do mo most of those in a, in a 30 minute morning routine. If you create a solid morning routine, you can naturally create happiness as a byproduct. I absolutely love that. And you crushed the impact round. So thank you for all of your answers. 
Now, lastly, on the show, we have what I like to call the do well and do good challenge. So this is where I encourage our listeners who do want to give back to contribute to the nonprofits that are nominated by my guests. Could you tell me what organization you're nominating and why? Uh, the American Red Cross. And I think it's because they're consistently a high quality organization that's always rated very highly on charity, uh, whatever that website, Charity Navigator. And uh, I find that you know finding good charities that actually use the money properly is very difficult. So if I were to get back, it'd be the Red Cross. And finally, before we say goodbye, where can our listeners go to learn more about you, about Pavlock, and to follow your content? Uh, check out pavlock.com, P-A-V-L-O-K.com, six letters. And follow me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash M-C-T-S-E-T-H-I. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. All right, everyone, that's our show. Now, before I sign off, I want to introduce any new listeners to how the Do Well and Do Good Challenge works. There are two ways that you can participate. The first is if you are looking to do more to give back, I encourage you to contribute to any of the nonprofits nominated by my guests. Send a screenshot of your receipt to challenge at dowellanddogood.co and your donation will be included in our monthly tally of the tangible impact this podcast is having. The second way you can participate is absolutely free, and that's by voting. See, in the first couple days of each month, we host a vote inside of our free Facebook community to determine which of the nonprofits nominated the month before that I will then donate a portion of my advertising agency's profits to. It's an awesome way to make your voice heard, and we've been able to raise money for some incredible organizations doing good in the world. So if you'd like to be a part of it, then head over to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, where you'll find a link to join the group. Once you're inside, I'm also sharing tips, ideas, resources, and more to help you both increase your income and your impact. We're having so much fun inside there. So head over again to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, and I'll see you on the inside. It means the world to me to earn your time. So thank you so much for listening.